All right, Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning and thank you for this wonderful, wonderful opportunity to know you in a deeper way. And Lord, I pray for this meeting that your will would be done. I pray for this church body that you would use this church body, that you would use surrendered hearts, that you would work through us to bring about your purposes and accomplish all that you have for us, Lord. Help us not to get in the way. Help us to be obedient and help us to be circumspect about how we live our life and how we serve you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you for coming back. This is Session two of our servant training class, which we're going to make mandatory for anybody who wants to serve, but we also embrace and invite anybody who wants to partake of finding out a little bit more about Calvary Chapel Flower Mound. So with that in mind, um, second session, there's seven sessions, and we are not meeting next week for holiday reasons, so hopefully you'll be doing some wonderful stuff next week. So we'll not be meeting meeting next week. And then some people are asking, well, what if I miss a session, or what if I can't make it? Then we're recording these, and if you do do miss or have to miss, then let me know, and we'll make the uh, proper arrangements so you can catch up with that, okay? So uh, session number one... Does anybody remember what that was called? Core. History. Wait, who said foundations? Foundations, foundations. You guys get the prize today. So see me afterward. So last week was called foundations. And basically session one, we're just kind of laying the groundwork for how we got here and what we're all about. That's what we called it, foundations. So can anybody tell you what our core values are, or tell me what our core values are at Calvary Chapel Flower Mound? I know that... Yes, that's correct. That was a lot better than I thought. I was not expecting that, so... So um, we should know what our core values are, and you, you guys said that very good, very well. So love, grace, simplicity, and dependency. And I also shared with you that we have on our website, we have our, a message for each one of those, the core values that we share within the church. Can anybody talk a little bit about the culture that we want to develop or want to have here within the church. That's kind of based on the core values. Not so cocky in that one, huh? <laughs> God gets the glory. Being confident. Those passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Rush to unity. Good, good. Keep them coming. Keep it simple. Anybody over here? They're like beating you guys. 
What was that? No gurgle. Yeah, those are little catchphrases. But that's okay. So you guys said it all. But basically, just to kind of put that all together is that, you know, when we're individually seeking the Lord and then our relationships horizontally come from our personal relationship with the Lord, we create a a culture and environment, especially with our core values where you know, we're trusting in the Lord. We're not, we're not looking at this as some business enterprise or we're trying, you know, through our own efforts, creativity and strategy and ingenious to build our own empire. But instead, we're trusting that the Lord is going to build his empire, right? It's big difference. So as the Lord builds his empire, we're not leaders of the Lord. We're followers of the Lord. So Ephesians 2 10 says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So basically what we're doing is just walking in what God's already done. So that should create a culture of easiness, of freedom, of we can be ourselves. We're not, you know, cookie cut clones who we're trying to make in a certain image. But we can fully be who we are and fully express who we are in the Lord and all come together in the Lord for one purpose, and that's to worship the Lord. So good job on that. So the reason we're here then, we talked about last week, is, and somebody said it, the whole reason we're here is to make passionate followers of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. So when you start there, then... We can work from there. So our job is to make disciples. There's another way to put it is that we would be used by God to make passionate followers of Jesus Christ. That's why we've been called here. That's the purpose that God has for us as a church. That's why he's put us in this particular location for a particular time for a particular reason to do that. So now... As we lay that foundation, then now we want to talk uh, today about methods. What do you mean? Well, how are we going to do it? So if our job is, or our calling, better said, our calling is to make passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Well, how do we do that? Well, this is where we want to be careful. Because we can be extremely zealous, excited about doing that. And if we don't understand that we're merely to follow the Lord in that desire, in that endeavor, then we can end up creating and making something that's really not of the Lord. And so that's uh, one of these things that's, there's a kind of a tension there to be played as far as, well, what's our role and what's God's role? You know, so if we have this calling to make disciples from Matthew chapter 28, then do we go out and do that? Or does God do that? And how do we, if God does that, then how do we fall into that? So there's a tension there, and that tension is solved by, at least in my mind, it's solved by understanding Ephesians 2.10, where where we have good works that God has already laid out that we should walk in them. So 
our job is not to lead the Lord, but to follow the Lord and follow Him with all that we have. That way, we're not just making up ministry. We're not making up God's plan, but we're just following what He's already done. So now we're being caught up in God's plan, God's will. So method-wise, so the Bible tells us that, that unless God builds the church, what? The laborers or workers, they labor in vain. The, the point is, God builds the church. God adds to the church daily those who would be saved. But he partners with us. So we do have a role. We do have a responsibility. And that's what I hope as we look at methods, that first we would ask ourselves, if the Great Commission in Matthew 28 has been given to the church, then individually and personally, how do we view the Great Commission? How do you view the Great Commission in your own life? See, it's, it's easy to get caught up in our daily things and forget the Great Commission and what we're commissioned to do. So I think as a body of Christ, then we have to understand why we're here in this, this Great Commission. We, we can never divorce our life from the Great Commission. In fact, everything that we do, we do it because of the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is going to make disciples of all the nations. So what does the Bible actually give us in regards to the methods? So what methods did they use? And I'll just share a a quick story. Some of my personal influences and some of the maybe pet peeves that I, I would have. I was, I came from a business background, studying business in college, and then eventually owning a business. And something happened to me when I went from that to getting in ministry that really bothered me. And it was it was like, you know, in my first couple weeks full-time ministry, I started getting all these things in the mails. Mailers, do you guys get those? Nobody gets mailers? A few people? But you know what I noticed? These mailers were all about how to, you know, get a gazillion people to come to your church. And, and, you know, now they have like, you know, well, how to capitalize on Easter services, you know, how to maximize, they wouldn't say your profit, but to get a whole bunch of people to come. And it, it really did something to my heart where I just said, it seems like the church is doing the same thing the world does to get people to come to their church. And the problem with that is it starts here. When we do church, when we're doing church, what is our paradigm for success? Like, how do we know if we're actually being successful? Right? How do we know church is, being, is working? And if we use world standards which unfortunately, the Western culture church has adopted Western values to determine what a successful church is. So that's sort of when the world gets in the church, then it becomes more about your building, your programs, and how many people and how much money you make. 
if we use that grid to determine Jesus's success, how successful would he be? Jesus was not successful on a human grid, was he? On a worldly grid. In fact, they made fun of him when they, when they were crucifying him and, you know, they mocked him and said, they put a crown of thorns on his head and they gave him like a fake robe and a fake like king staff thing. And they said, oh, so you're the king of the Jews. Look, what, is this what the king looks like? And in their day, the king would be somebody above everybody else and somebody who would sit on a big throne and somebody who told everybody what to do. But Jesus set out right in the beginning. He set out what his kingdom was all about in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. The poor in spirit, the meek, those who were persecuted for righteousness, all those things. So his, his kingdom was a spiritual kingdom that he was setting up. So I realized, and I was, try, I was kind of struggling like, okay, how do I know I'm doing a good job? How do I know that I'm being successful at what I've called to do? How do we as a church know that what we're doing is actually working? Well, I think the first thing is to know we're doing the things that the Bible tells us to do. If we know that, then we know we're being faithful. And to be successful as a church body or as individual Christians, it's faithfulness that is the gauge of our success. Not what God does with the faithfulness. Because at the end of the day, isn't it up to God to do with our faithfulness what he wants to do? Some water, some plant, but, whatever, but God adds the increase, right? So we have to start with a biblical grid of what success is. We, ha- we have to look at, okay, so here we are. We're a bunch of people. You know, God's worked in our church. Just the fact that there's a bunch of people here. That's a work of God, right? So now we say, well, are we being successful? Well, the temptation is, well, we don't have enough or much people as, as that church, or we have more people than that church. So we get into that. We have to be careful about that. What we have to think is, are we being faithful? Am I being faithful? Are you being faithful? Are we being faithful? And if we're being faithful, then we can rejoice in what the Lord's doing. And now what happens is we can take our church model anywhere in the world. If you have a church model that only works in an affluent area, then maybe that's not the the model of the Bible. But we can take this church model anywhere. Why? Because we can take Jesus anywhere. We can take his word anywhere. Well, almost. But see, we can take, because this is what really really God's looking for. So as we look in in God's word for methods, what we find is then, He does give us methods. He does give us, okay, here's what you should be doing. Here's what you should be doing as a church. And remember, doing for what? To make passionate disciples of Jesus Christ. We can never forget that. So what did the early church do, and what's a good model for us to look at as far as what we should do? Well, Matthew 28, 18, the Great Commission. I'm just going to read that for you. It says, And Jesus came and he spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
So I like that. So Jesus has all the authority. So good to join in on Jesus' side, right? And then he says, go, therefore. So he says, go, go, why? Because Jesus has all authority, that's why. That, he says, go, therefore, go in regards to the fact that Jesus has all authority. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But don't forget, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, so there's the partnering, there's that, that tension that, that Jesus has all authority. And then he says, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm going to include you in what I'm doing. So think about that for a minute. Think about a, a greater reason to exist. Think about a great, greater purpose to live your life. And Jesus says, go and make, go and make disciples or like I like to say, go and make passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, he says that because he says, Jesus says, I want to do that. That's why he tells us to do it. Jesus says, I want to do that. That's what I want to do. That's what Jesus is doing. I, Jesus is saying, I am going and doing that. And Jesus is saying, I have all authority to do that. And then he says, because of that, now, now you go and do that. So that that's the partnering in ministry that God says, now if you go, and then he finishes that, and he says, and as you go, I'm going to be with you. That I'm going to do it. So the, the believer has no fear. The believer has no concern. And the, the believer who goes in the name of the Lord to make passionate followers of Jesus Christ, they never, look to, they never need to look to the world for help. In fact, they shouldn't look to the world for help. And I shared you my story about programs to build churches, but then it's also, uh, that's what's taught in seminary these days. If you go to seminary, they, they teach you these things you have to do to get people to come. And let me just say, biblically, the, the end does not justify the means. What do you mean? If we get a gazillion people to come to our church through our own efforts and our own flesh and not following the Lord, God doesn't care how many people come to church. He doesn't say, you got them all to come in. I couldn't do it, but you got them. So wonderful. See, that's what takes all the pressure off. The great commandment says, I'm with you. But see, we have to go and do what he's called us to do in the act of us doing what he's called us to do. Now he empowers that gives us authority, and does through us what he wants to do. Do you ever feel like sometimes, I want to make disciples more than Jesus does? I want this person to be saved so bad, and Jesus isn't helping me. How come this person is not getting saved? We have to remember, the only reason we have any sort of burden for anybody else to come to the Lord is because God put that there. That's all. And he's called us, John 15, he's called us to bear fruit and that more abundantly and that our fruit would remain. So think about it. 
God wants to reach all those people out there more than we do. But he says, hey, you want to live a thrilling life? Go and make disciples and I'll be with you. And you'll experience me working through you in ways that I do things you can never have done. So when we think about this great commission, we have to think, okay, so what has God given me? So what do I do? So one, he's given us evangelism. That seems like the most uh, obvious one, evangelism. It's really easy for, for us to get really internally focused and think so uh, much more about just what happens within the body of Christ. But remember, there's no body of Christ without evangelism, is there? And a lot of times, especially in the, in the Western culture or the Western church idea, build, or building a church or making disciples has more to do with let's have the most stuff in our church so people who are already saved will want to come to our church instead of the church down the street. And so there becomes as a competition. But, you know, we don't have to worry about the competition. And, you know, thank God we don't have the funds to compete. But silver and gold have we not. But what we do have, this is what... But see, God has put us in a place where the emphasis has to be on God working through us to make disciples to Christ. So the, the evangelism part, and, and so... Jesus had 12 disciples turn the world upside down. We have way more people than 12 disciples here. What could God do through us? What is he doing through us? What will he do through us? I don't know, but I do know this one thing. That God has called each of us to a powerful ministry of evangelism of sharing the gospel. And so the methods that we use, this is, this is how, it, how it starts. This is how churches are born. It's, you know, sure, we get some people from other churches, but do we see that as, as how our church is growing or are we seeing that the people are coming to Christ? And that people are filling the pews because there's a hunger there. And that doesn't mean... You know, there's, a, there's also a, something to be said with people that come to our church that are not getting fed anywhere, and they're so hungry to be fed, so they're coming to our church. But we have to start out. This is the method that God has given us. And this method is so much more powerful than doing all, you know, this marketing and all this stuff. You know, it's like, can you have, even in our day and age, is it even possible to, to have... A great church, unless you have a great marketing department, you should be able to. But nowadays in Western culture, it seems like the only way you're going to have a church that the world looks at is really good is if you have the, a great marketing department. Your marketing department, because you're marketing your church. And the thing is, we don't market. The thing is, we tell people about the love of God and what Christ has done for them. No marketing can match that power. I think the, 
the hinge right there is so important to get, and this is something I've, I've mentioned it before, but it's really been resonating through my mind. It's when Peter went out fishing with Jesus and they caught two boatloads of fish and as they pulled them in and Jesus realized something, he realized who Jesus was and he realized something about Jesus and his his response was just really strange to me but it it made sense after I started thinking about it. He said, "I'm I'm a sinful man. That's what he said, I'm a sinful man. It's weird. Catching fish made Peter think, and realize he's a sinful man. But Jesus' response to him was, don't be afraid, I'm going to make you fisher of men. See, evangelism is, is really, we can't believe how good God is to us. And we know that we have the answer to all man's problems, and the answer is Jesus Christ. Evangelism, effective evangelism, is, is broken people who know the love of God and just want to share the love of God. It's as simple as that. We can all do that. We don't have to be a Billy Graham or a Greg Laurie. We can, in fact, it's more effective a broken person who's, who knows the love of Christ to share the love of Christ with people. So this evangelism, that's, that's what, as a church, that's sort of the, the method that we have that God's given us to build the church. So as, he, as we do that, what are we really doing is that we're reaching the world starting with what's right around us. Our family, our friends, our co-workers. And we're reaching the world with the word to the word. Get it? So we use the word to win those to Christ. And when we win them to Christ, we're winning them to the word. That's what making disciples is. Where it's not just sprinkling some seeds around, which there's nothing wrong with that. But we're called to make disciples. And a disciple is one we're teaching them to observe what the word says. So I think most important, that's, that's, that's the church. Think about the opportunity that we have now with so much misinformation, so much confusion about Christ. We live in a society where there's not a lot of places people are going to get the word of God anymore. And here we are. I remember in in Amos, it says that there was a famine in the land for the word of God. And so that's what we're experiencing, in my opinion. A famine in the land. And so... The word of God is what breaks up the fallow ground. It's where revival starts. It's it's what brings forth the increase. It's the seed that goes into the hearts of the people. And so that's where discipleship comes. But something interesting, uh, our second tool that we've been given, we can look at that as then discipleship. So our our tool, we have evangelism, but then we also have discipleship. And, and our church is really set up to disciple people. Our church is set up for that because discipleship is really teaching people about the word and teaching them to follow the word, follow Jesus through the word. So our church is sort of set up to 
bring the word to a place where people can get a hold of it, can meditate on it, chew on it. And that's really what Sunday and Wednesday is. Sunday and Wednesday is dis- we're discipling people in the word of God. And it's amazing to me to think back and look back, not only on my own life, but to look at, at other people's lives and see how they've been transformed by the word of God. And see how God's word not only saved them, but now it's grounding them, securing them, giving them the, the strength and stability in life to take them from the very bottom and bring them into a place where now they're actually ministering to people. Maybe a lot of you are like that. that you're, I mean, you were given no hope by anybody in the world, and now you're actually ministering the word of God to people. That's the power of God's word, and that's the power of discipleship. When we talk about discipleship, I think what's really key is then, of course, within the body of Christ, is you have to kind of get involved with people. You know, so we disciple here at church, we disciple on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday through through the pulpit, teaching the word of God. Ephesians chapter 4 says that God has given some to be pastors and evangelists to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So we do that. But then each ministry, and this is, this is key if you're a ministry leader, there's discipleship that goes on in your ministry. That's, a, that's imperative. So a ministry leader is not someone that just makes a schedule. A ministry leader is somebody who has a little team that you're discipling. A little team that you're getting to know. A little team that you're walking through life with. That you're sharing how God works in your own life. That you're praying with and sharing scriptures with. That's a ministry leader. The Bible says to be diligent to know the state of your flock. A ministry leader, you kind of know how people are doing in there. That's a way that the church is sort of broken down into smaller increments. And when we have a ministry, ministry discipleship, then we're having people becoming more equipped to serve the Lord within those ministry groups. So that's important. As we think about discipleship then, we're involving ourselves in other people's lives with the idea, the goal, and the hope, like Jesus, that we're bringing people along in the Lord. Now, you don't, you know, you don't have to be pushy. You shouldn't be pushy. You shouldn't be putting pressure on people. But our ministries are natural greenhouses for discipleship. Because there's already interaction, ministry interaction going on there. There's, there's already things you're doing together as a group. So that's important. Now I found it interesting, this one scripture where Jesus actually describes what a disciple is. And I want to read it to you because it, it's really sobering and it's really something that if we're going to disciple people, we have, have to really understand what Jesus said about discipleship, right? So Luke 14, 25, it says, Now a great multitude went with Jesus, and he turned around and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, that's kind of weird since my dad's sitting right here 
I don't hate you. <laughs> and I, I think what Jesus is he's saying, he keeps saying in the statement, in this section of scripture, you can't be my disciple, you can't be my disciple, you can't be my disciple. And what he is doing is saying there's a big difference between a lot of people following Jesus because they're just sort of checking it out or they wanted to see him do the stuff that he was doing. They're interested. But a true disciple, what he's saying, obviously Jesus taught love, not hate. So what he's saying is our love for Jesus must be such that everything else in comparison, it falls behind our love for Jesus. Our relationships with other people, even the closest people with us, in relationship to our relationship with Jesus, those should not take priority or precedent. And what Jesus was saying is you, you really can't be any good for the kingdom of God unless he is your first love. And he's saying that all of our other ministry and loves in our relationship will only be what God intended them to be if we put them in line with and arrange them in accordance with Jesus Christ being our everything, our all in all, and the center and priority of everything we do. So now with that understanding, you kind of get an idea. It's, it's a little harder to follow Jesus than, than it seems. You know, so Jesus, or actually Paul said that it's God's will for us, our sanctification. And that's what he's talking about. This, that, that God's will for a believer is that he's moving in our life to bring us to a point where we're passionate followers of Jesus Christ and he's our whole being. And so part of our discipleship is encouraging God or encouraging people in the Lord in what God wants, to, wants them to do and that's to, to live their life fully and completely for Jesus Christ. And that is so powerful what we see him saying in the book of Luke because he really distinguishes a difference between casual followers or worldly followers. Or, and he really says, you're really not following me at all, even though you're around me. That doesn't mean you're my disciple. So when we disciple, we have to keep that in mind. And when we think about discipleship then, there's just a couple things I wanted to point out. is The ministry discipleship, and then personal discipleship. So within the church, we have opportunities, especially in our ministries, to disciple people. And then in our personal lives, we also have opportunities to disciple. So think about that. Think about that in your own way and think about how that sort of idea of discipleship, what Jesus said in Luke and also our Great Commission is is that why I'm living my life? To make passionate followers of Jesus Christ, knowing that he's already done the work. He's already, he already has people. He already has things. Am I living in such a way where I'm partaking of that? And I'm seeing, I'm seeing that as important. The third Method that God's given us. What was the first one again? Evangelism. Second one? Discipleship. Then the third is the Word of God. 
talked about that. We always talk about that. We touch on that. And that's important. But here's, here's what we need to think about. Because sometimes uh, within churches, we're just making disciples of whatever our church name is. So we're not trying to make disciples of Calvary Chapel Flower Mount. We're not trying to make Calvaryites. We're trying to make followers of Jesus. Our church is just what God has given to us to do that. It's the vehicle. But as we think about the Word of God, remember in Matthew, in the Great Commission, is he was saying, make disciples and teach them to observe all the things that God has said. So that the Word of God is good for that and powerful for that. But I quoted Ephesians 4 earlier, and I want to just look at that in context and, look, and draw that out just a little bit more, if you guys can stick with me on this. Ephesians 4.11. It says, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Then he gives a reason why. He says, for the equipping of the saints, for what? For the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, within the church body, then, then God has certain callings on people's lives for the purpose of building up the body so that all those in the body will experience the fullness of God in their life. And part of experiencing the fullness of God in their life is serving the God of their life. So it can't be, I heard Francis Chan say this one time, I thought it was really good. He, he quit his church, which is a, a giant mega church thing. And he said one of the reasons he quit his church is because his church had gotten so big and all it, all it turned out to be, in his words, was a whole bunch of people watching him use his gift. And he said, what is actually happening here? You know, all these people would come, and, and you see this now with, you know, there's certain pastors are really gifted in speaking, and it's really appealing and attractive. But if we don't look at what is being taught in regards to our own life, but merely to, to say, wow, he was awesome, or that's awesome, or whatever. But those, the Bible says there's, there's no good pastor. The Bible says there's no one good, no, not one. God doesn't have this. God's the good one. And sometimes we don't even know that it's hard for people to tell the difference between an anointing by God or somebody just a really good charismatic speaker. That's fun to listen to. So the, really, the, the message is it emphasizes the word so that people will themselves then take personal responsibility for their personal relationship so they'll want to serve and want to be part of the ministry. So that's, that's the, the work is to equip the saints for the work 
of the ministry. And as the equipping's going on and people are partaking and participating in the things that God's going, God's doing, then they're experiencing God. And then other people are experiencing God. And then it's not just a whole bunch of people watching a couple people. It's an active body of Christ where each person is serving in how God called them and they're stirring up their gift. Now the body, the whole body's being built up. Now a whole body's on fire. Now it's not, you know, one person carrying all the, the weight that's maybe not even gifted to carry all these things. It's, it's spread out. Now you're a family. Now you're a unit. Christ is the head. And we're all just body parts serving Christ in our own giftedness. So the work of the minister, the pastor, teacher, evangelist, where it's, it's just equip for the work of the ministry. What's another tool that he's given us? Number four, another tool that he's given us is prayer and fasting. <coughs> prayer and fasting is, is simply prayer is the way we completely depend on God and fasting is the way to be completely independent of ourselves. I would encourage you here today, I, I'm pretty sure most of you pray and you know I'm sure that's a part of your life. I'm not sure about fasting. I want to encourage you to open your heart and your mind to see about fasting. This was something in the, in the New Testament is assumed that people were fasting. So it wasn't necessarily taught on a lot. It's just assumed that people are fasting. So I want to encourage you to really think about, pray about, and say, you know, am I, am I lacking power in my life? Am I, am I lacking something in my life? Am I lacking understanding? Am I lacking wisdom? And I want to encourage you to go into fasting in that regard. And then the fifth thing that God's given us, and this is a something that... It, easily is taken for granted, but is a great gift of God. And that's the community and family of a church body. The community and family of a church body. It's a, a, a major tool that God has given us. You think about the, the early church, what was interesting is they didn't have a, a lot of things externally to make people come to church. So people didn't need that. But did they come to church in the early church? They sure did. How did they come? They came steadfastly, daily. You might want to think about it as they couldn't wait to get to church. And there are no artificial stimulants. They didn't have any. See, Chuck Smith always said, what you catch them with is what you have to keep, keep them with. If you're going to catch people with all this fleshly, snazzy things, you better keep upping the bar. Because those things get boring after a while. And you better do something bigger. Each holiday, hey, you better make it bitter, bigger and better than the last one. But if you catch them with the Word of God, they're going to stay because of the Word of God. And so... I think it's important to understand that the body, the body of Christ was given as a gift. It was given for people to be encouraged, lifted up, and built up. To be able to serve God's body is, is, is such a privilege. To be able to, 
scrape gum off the floor or change a diaper or to pick something off. It doesn't matter because you're, you're doing it to the Lord and it blesses people. It's a blessing to people. It's amazing how good you feel just doing the smallest thing for the Lord. And so this community of people, this group of called out ones, this is what the church, that, that word church actually means called out ones. And it was the first use, this is the audience participation. The, except for Zach, I bet he knows this. This is uh, the first use of the word church in the Bible. Does anybody know where that, where that was? The actual word that we use for church. Christian church, Antioch? The word church? I, I mean church. The cult, yeah, the, the actual word church. Yes. Brownie point. Okay, so you get a brownie point, you get a brownie point, and Robert gets a brownie point. So the first use of the word church was in Matthew 16, 18. And it was that discussion that Jesus was having at Caesarea Philippi with Peter. He said, Peter, who do do you say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So whenever in the Bible you see something mentioned the first time, it's a rule of first mention, that sets the precedent for how the the word is used later. So the church then is, it was, I would say, conceived there in Caesarea Philippi. It was born where? The book of Acts the Holy Spirit came upon the church at Pentecost. That's where the church was born. But I would say maybe the church, in the way I like to think of it, was conceived there at Caesarea Philippi when he said, this is what the church is. And church means, the word church literally means called out separate ones. We've been called out of the world. And so this group of called out people are called out because, as Jesus said in Matthew 16, that they have built their life on the rock. What's the rock? Was it Peter? No, it wasn't Peter. Peter was the little rock. It was on the big rock. And the rock was Jesus Christ, but more specifically, it was the correct identification of who Jesus was and what he did. And he said the church would be built on that And the gates of Hades would never prevail against it. And so the church community is, it's very special. And the church community gets attacked. Satan wants to divide, create disunity. And the the body of Christ is very special to God. And it's a blessing, it's a gift that he's given us. The body of Christ is a community, it's a family. They met steadfastly, they met daily, and they were getting persecuted and attacked, and they couldn't wait to be around other believers and enjoy fellowship and worshiping the Lord. It was like heaven on earth. The body of Christ is where 
Our gifts are primarily used, the Bible says, within the body of Christ to build up the body of Christ. The body of Christ is where we're told not to forsake the meeting of one another together, but even more so as the day approaches, even as, as things get more difficult, the church becomes better for people, especially when the, the church is doing what the church is supposed to be doing. So consider, think about this: the church as a tool, as a blessing, as a way that God has given us to be used by Him. And then the sixth thing, pretty much our last thing. The sixth thing is then serving, using our gift. The believer can't really be fully actualizing everything that God has for them without serving the Lord. And God has given each one a gift. If you think about that, it's actually a gift of God's grace. The manifold grace of God, which means the multifaceted, various colors and illuminations of God's grace that we have seen or saw fully on display at the cross. He's taken portions of his full grace and given it to each one of us so that our exercising of our gift of grace then in a corporate setting brings about the fullness of Christ within the corporate setting. Did you know when you use your gift that God has given you for the Lord, I see Christ more. Your fellow brothers and sisters hear that when you use it, they see Christ more. And some people, you know, they have just one gift. Some people have a few more gifts, but the exercising of that gift within the body of Christ then brings out the beauty of Christ in the church. And that's how the church avoids being a consumer-driven or a show or any. That's when people actually start using their own gift. When you start using your own gift, it actually gives you more compassion for other people too. Because you start using your own gift and then you start getting attacked. You start experiencing spiritual warfare, which makes you rely on the Lord more. When you use your gift, you're less critical of other people because you're usually not as critical when you're getting hammered by Satan. You usually have more grace and mercy. But the church in this uh, model, I think we've seen more and more, is where there's programs that are driven by the program and the paid professionals that people don't see the privilege of serving the Lord anymore. And people see that serving the Lord is something that if it fits into their plans or is convenient, that that's good. But it was for the high priest to be able to serve in the temple once a year is just such a long shot that they would ever get to do that. It's actually a lottery taken. One in 20,000 chance you get to serve the Lord. We have to be very careful. We don't feel in, entitled and that the church is lucky to have us. It's a, it's a blessing for the individual, 
to serve the Lord, whatever it is. And the thing is, if God's giving you the gift, he's also the one who makes way for the gift. So we don't have to push our gift, but we can just follow the Lord and let him open up those doors of opportunity to use the gift. And so then the last thing, which I'm not really going to talk about much, I'm just going to mention it because what we're going to talk about next time, the whole topic is going to deal with that. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit to do what God's called us to do. So our tools, instead of looking to the world, instead of trying to be clever and trying to, instead of trying to figure everything out, our tools that God has given us to do what he already wants to do and promises will do, wants to include us in, our evangelism, discipleship, the word of God, praying and fasting, community and family of the body of Christ, and service, serving the Lord. So, um, still have a little time, not much, but I want to see if you had any questions, and then we'll pray, and then Rob and Val can go and have a nice lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Any questions? Yes, Dixie. Praise the Lord. Okay, so just to repeat the question so you all can hear it. So Dixie says, Rob and Val go up and pray after the service and people pray with them. And then she was asking, can she go up and pray? What do you... Just, yeah, sure. So she wants to come up and kneel before God and pray. Yeah, sure. Go for it. Any other questions? That was the easy one. Any other questions? Kind of? No? Okay. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for this body. Thank you for these people. Lord, it's such a blessing to serve with them. It's such a a gift from heaven to be a part of this body and most importantly, to be a part of your body. And Lord, as we look at the things that you've given us, to reach the world. You tell us that the things of the cross are foolishness. And that it's hard for people to understand that you've done such a great work in such a powerful way with so little. And so, Lord, we just want to beseech you, Lord, 
and prayed to you and come to you and make ourselves available and willing to be your disciples in the way that you've called us to be disciples, Lord. That we would be all in for what you've called us to do. That you would be our all-consuming passion. And Lord, I, I know it's your great desire to reach those in our community and, and beyond. And I look at what you did and what you were willing to do in order to accomplish what you did. And Lord, I just pray that we would be fully surrendered to you now. I pray that we would be sensitive and open to go and to do, whether that's to share, to pray, to stir up our gift or whatever it is. I pray that we wouldn't just be passive, Lord, but we would be all in. But Lord, I pray that we wouldn't lead you either. I pray that we would be all in to follow what you're doing. Those works that you've prepared beforehand, I pray that we would walk in them with our whole being. And I pray, Lord, and just as a church body, we open ourselves up, Lord, for you to do what you will, Lord. And we do ask that you would do a great work in us and through us according to the exceeding great power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray that love would abound, that you would knit us together in love, that we would put aside our own interest and only be interested in you and glorifying you. I pray that you'd stir hearts now even to what your will for them would be right now, Lord. I pray that you'd stir hearts for a, a willingness. I pray for anybody who's gotten in a rut, gotten stale or stagnant. I pray for a flexibility like a new wineskin as you pour out your spirit that we would be like new wineskin. And I pray that we'd always be looking for you, Lord. I pray an anointing on this body, Lord. And I thank you for all that you've done, Lord. You've been so good to us, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. We made it out almost on time again. Two for two. And don't forget, we'll be off next week. God bless you guys.